This week on Squats and Margaritas, it's New York Times bestselling author, international leadership speaker, and drama researcher. Yeah, that kind of drama. Cy Wakeman, her new book, Life's Messy, Live Happy. Things don't have to be perfect for you to be content. She talks about drama in the workplace, um, how much time in our day we waste on drama, how to let go of ego. Here's my episode with Cy Wakeman. Hi, Cy. Hi, Erin. How are you? I'm so excited because you're here. <laughs> oh, you're the one with the great show. Thanks for letting me be on. Oh, oh my gosh. It's so crazy, Sai, that you just came to me now. I know you have a new book coming out, but my like spiritual journey and like re- self-reflection and like turning towards the universe, that journey started like recently doesn't even cover like a month ago. <laughs> And then it's like, you drop in my lap and I'm like, this is supposed, I'm supposed to talk to you. I'm open to it. And now things like this keep happening. There's like six weird things that happen like that. And I wouldn't have been open to it otherwise. So you're supposed to be here today. I know it. I believe that. And that's how (laughs) it works. Once we do one ounce of inner work, it shifts our perspective. It's like, we were looking through a peephole in the door. All that stuff was there, but we didn't see it. Yeah. You can look back and think of the things that you met, like, oh my gosh, there, there were signs of like what you're supposed to be doing or something, but you were too busy. You weren't open to it before. So you didn't receive it. Yeah. And sometimes it gets so piled up that you're so fearful of turning inward because you're just going to cry a bucket of, of just things, right? When when my kids were little and we would visit my in-laws and go to church where it was completely silent and they were all just like sitting in a little row the tears would just fall. And I think oh. we're afraid that if we feel some of those feelings, it won't end. Um, Cause turning inward is always met with, you know, facing heartbreak and feelings and frustration, but that's where the information is. That's where yes. the info on where you need to set a boundary or what you need more of or less of. So we keep ourselves from the information for sure. We're afraid to feel yeah. we talk about like um, thinking our feelings. Cause like you think, if you're feeling it, like, obviously that's how I think, but like, <laughs> sure, sure. And in the, the kind of therapy counseling world, we would call it intellectualizing your feelings. And most of the time, what we don't realize we're doing is we intellectualize feelings into grievances. So imagine somebody sends you a meme and you, you're looking at it. And if you were really feeling your feelings, you would like laugh out loud. You would just be like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and that would actually give you the physical benefit of the chemicals that happen in your brain with joy or laughter, like your body would embody, you would embody it. And then you would get the, you know, uplift that was meant for you from the humor. But what we do instead is we don't even embody it. We don't laugh the laugh. We think LOL (laughs) type it. And I have to send this to my 10 best friends, or this is my new post for the day. And I love social media and I love when people forward me things with LOL, but I just want us to not skip the embodiment of a feeling. And that's just one small way that we do this. We spiritually bypass, you know, we, um, mommy needs a glass of wine in a way we, you know, margarita, all of those, (laughs) a margarita, absolutely (laughs) not anti-drinking, um, but yeah, but it's like, we just, we, or we put it off. We're like, I'll feel that later. You know, 
we may wake up with some anxiety, let's say. And if I really just sit for a minute and just say, what I wake up with today? What am I starting my day with feelings-wise? And let's say it's some anxiety. That's such good information. I'm going to move through today a little more carefully. I know that I'm a little edgy. Yeah, That's it. But what we do is we go, I am anxious. Why am I anxious? I know why I'm anxious is my spouse never helps with anything or my <laughs> boss, my boss doesn't communicate anything. And we attach our feelings hmm? that are just to be experienced it into a grievance. And then we walk into the world, not with, I'm going to be careful with myself and others, but it's a day of confrontation. I'm going to finally let somebody know how they should treat me. And it's oh a gosh. way to walk through the world that assures that you don't get the love you need. That's because so, you're closed off and you're already thinking, like you talk about pre-suffering, like we assume we attach something to it. It's like, it hasn't even happened. Like, but the human tendency and be like, this is bad. This is so bad. <laughs> and you go there. Yeah. Totally. Well, you know, we are kind of born into this religion of suffering. Like, if you just were in the present moment, we almost teach our babies to suffer. We're like, are you worried about school? Because it's Sunday. You should be worried about school tomorrow. You know, in, do you have your homework done? Or like, so we learn so quickly um, to always suffer. And there's, you know, there's suffering in the moment that we do. We take just a neutral fact and add a story to it. And the suffering comes from our story, not the fact. But we pre-suffer. You know, we, we start to go, oh, my gosh, today is tough, but tomorrow's going to be worse. Or <laughs> and we also post-suffer. Let's say so we went through something, but we relive it over and over and over again. I mean, just think about um, beautiful birth stories birth versus not beautiful birth stories. Like, mm. I had both. And I never talk about this easy labor that I just had this beautiful little boy Same. who just kind of came out. Yeah. I talk about the disastrous C-section <laughs> and the hemorrhaging and the neonate unit. And, and every time I go through that, I have goosebumps. If I notice what I'm feeling is I'm now post-suffering. My beautiful baby is 30 years old. He's perfectly healthy. <laughs> right. But you're feel, you're but, still in the feeling of it. Yeah, the it's post, the drama. The like, do you believe yeah. what happened? You're not going to share a story that was like, I delivered it. It was two pushes and the baby was out. Nobody wants to hear that. We're all about the drama. And I think that's so exciting that you are a drama researcher. And I was like, not thinking yes. that that meant drama in the sense of like, oh, the drama that we deal with daily, like in the workplace, but it's drama. And like how you, drama. you study how, like I was so interested to learn how much time in our day and you've researched this, is spent yes. in the drama. In drama. And it's two and a half hours a day, 816 oh. hours a year. Now, every mama out there listening, if I said, can I give you back 816 hours a year yes, of from suffering <laughs> to joy? Now, this doesn't mean that we don't have a busy day, but there's two ways to go through the busy day, joy or misery, your choice. And I'm not talking about bypassing your feelings, but drama is emotional waste. Yes, it is. It is. And the best way to get rid of emotional waste, to get rid of any waste is a process. And to get rid of emotional waste, we need a good mental process. And most people don't understand how our mind works. And so often, even in telling our stories, 
if we told them truthfully, there is no drama, even like my birth story. If I told it truthfully, there's no drama. Yeah. So I went in labor. I had a high membrane leak. They checked me every 14 minutes. They decided to do a C-section. I had some bleeding. They put me back into surgery. My baby was sick. They put him in the neonate unit. And 14 days later, we all came home and uh, it was a little bit of a recovery. Like that's the true story. Yeah. That's all. I add the part, you know, <laughs> of the near-death experience and, yeah. and the incompetency, but none of it was true. Yes. It was just what I added. And that's what you do. Like when you're coaching and leadership, it's like somebody comes to you and is like, Linda did all this and she drama and all of this. You're like, you listen to what they say. You give them back only the facts and you take out yes. all the drama and then they're hearing it back. Like, Hmm. Like maybe as it isn't, this is a good segue into like the three questions. Like, and then you ask them, yeah. Linda did all these things. How could, how did you help? Like, what did you do? And they're like, hmm. or did you ask if you could help? And then it puts it back on the onus back on them. And then they're looking at it completely differently just by asking that question. I love that. Will you talk about yeah. that? You got it. You got it. And um, there's a TEDx video out there somewhere on, I call I three it. questions up. That, oh, you did good. It sounds like you're a good student. It will change three questions that will change your life. And I really use this all the time. Anytime I'm stressed. Yeah. I listen into what I'm believing because the, the first thing is you got to stop believing everything you think you're the observer of your thinking. You are not the thinker. And most of it's untrue, especially if it's stressful. So the first question I ask is what do I know for sure? So let's say I'm driving down the highway and this guy cuts me off. And my story is he like almost tried to kill me. And he obviously an doesn't asshole. respect, he's an <laughs> asshole. And he doesn't respect women drivers. And I have kids <laughs> in the car for heaven's sake. And then I'm checking out his bumper stickers to see who he voted for. And then I'm like, of course <laughs> down the rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But if I ask for, and I'm furious and I make bad choices when I think he's trying to kill me, I have these kids in the car. I'm like, I speed up. He will not yeah. get in this lane. That's a horrible choice. That's yeah. a horrible, I'm the one bringing the kids in danger. So if I ask myself, what do I know for sure? And I really, it's not intellectual. I meditate with that. What do I know for sure? All I know is that he moved into my lane, allowing me less room than I prefer. Wow. Okay. Yeah, right. That's it. You're, it's you not even to cut you off because he might have not even realized. It's yeah. just that he went in your lane. Yeah. That happened. And he didn't cut me off or right. kill me or hit me. Like he just doesn't hate it women. was just a little less, <laughs> yeah, a little less room than I prefer. Wow. Now, when I'm with reality, reality is never as harsh as we believe it to be. And when I'm with reality, I make better choices. If I want more room to feel safe, what is a good thing to do? Like slow down and let him in because I'm interested in safety for my babies. Right. Exactly. So it's it's so interesting. So I asked myself first, what do I know for sure? And you have to edit your story, take out assignment of motive. I know why they did this. Take out your prediction of the future. I know how this will turn out. Take out anything that starts with, I know, because mm -hmm. you don't. You don't. <laughs> then when you get down to that neutral place, like at work, people come to me and they're like, we just got three patients dumped on us. I'm like, literally, physically, people just like dump <laughs> on patients top of you? in our hallway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, we have three new admissions. That sounds so much more doable, like getting three people, you know, yes. off the floor. So once we know we, we can see reality a little clearer, that loosens our ego's grip on the whole situation. And we're now out of low self, primitive brain, fight or flight, 
freeze, fawn, trigger trauma response. We're into high self toggle and high up. self says, yeah, toggle up given the situation, <laughs> given the situation, um, you know, how can I help? And so the second question after what do I know for sure is what could I do to help? Because I think if we all went inside, we would feel better about helping, not critiquing, judging. Like, what could I do to help in this situation? Sometimes that's not add another word. It's like, don't add another word to the conversation. Yeah, Sometimes it. it's, it's jump in and, and, you know, and help in a different way. But once I go, what could I do to help? Then I find the next right action that's more aligned with who I am and who I want to be and who I want to role model. When all of that is done, right, in the moment, then I have another really great question, which is, if I were great right now, what would great look like? And what that does is it gets me to quit emotionally outsourcing how I feel and how I behave, because it doesn't matter who made the mistake, who has some accountability in this. It doesn't yeah. matter. I am now free. True freedom is when it doesn't matter what part everybody played. I can just ask myself, if I were great, what would great look like? And do that. That is in my highest nature. I seriously feel like I'm going to cry because it was like a couple of days ago when I read this and I was watching your YouTubes. Like, I think those three questions might have saved my marriage. Ever since I got this, which I believe is my highest self, living in my authentic self, what I'm supposed to do for the world, it has caused a little bit of tension. Not, I mean, my husband is trying to the best of his ability to support this and just cheer me on, but it's not what he expected. It's not what I expected. Like I got a show yeah. out of the blue and we're all trying to go with it, but I, it is what I want to do, Sai. And so it's like, what I know is he doesn't support me. He doesn't want to do this. He thinks I should be barefoot in the kitchen because he was, grew up in the South. I supported him in his career. He doesn't support me. It's all these things. I have not done anything to help. Like I, maybe we could get a nanny. I'm not trying to help. I just have all this resentment towards him because like I, I put this whole story in. He doesn't want me to succeed. It's just about him. And he's not saying any of these things. And then no. the final question of what would great be like, because I'm like, this, this isn't going to work. When I think of what would great look like, it's not me alone. It's not me with someone else. It's us. Like I want yeah. it to be him. So I need to work to get that great. That's what my great would look like. How can I help to get the great of us together? Cause that is what I want. And like those steps were like mind blowing for anybody that's questioning, not just so much like, like a relationship. If you go through those three steps, it's so clear. I so, first of all, thank you for sharing so yeah. heartfelt. And that's the freedom that can be yours because what we do is we build up these stories and we act out of these stories and it keeps us from being curious. So the, the real work is resist the urge to name something on the outside. Mm -hmm. That's where you want to stay curious. He's not supportive. That's naming. My husband is unsupportive. Saying curious is... This is a surprise to both of us. And so I'm wondering um, what, you know, a fear of his is or what is important yeah. to him to see if we can meet some of those needs. How can we figure out a solution to this dilemma facing us? Yeah. And that's what happens a lot of times is that people think they are each other's problem. But the problem, you're the team. I know. The problem is the the um 
change in front of you. And, and once you think each other is the problem, um, you're on the wrong side of it. So I love that for you. And our, we need to resist the urge to judge and name something externally. But we, especially women, have to do the work of naming something internally, like sitting with your feelings till they t- tell you their name. I bet if you sat with those feelings, it would not be anger, even though it sounds angry. Like it's probably your own fear of, you know, what if I do this and fail? What if I take us on this incredible journey and, you know, it, it um, hurt our family in some way? Like yeah, you're when exactly you go inside, you have to sit with your, you don't have to do anything. I would invite you to sit with mm-hmm. your feelings. So they tell you their name because there's such good information. I would think of the conversation where outwardly you say curious and inwardly you said, I'm scared too. Yes. And I, you it's know, mom it, guilt too. I feel it's a little bit of my noise. Like I shouldn't be doing this right now with my kids. So it's like, you want me to fail, but it's me. That's like, should you be doing this? Like, you're right. It, and I'm projecting my noise at him. Like he's the problem. And I never would go yeah. sit with myself. And like, I've had a couple people on lately that like made me open to it more. And there's just been so many revelations. Like I, I quit soccer in college and I've always kind of felt like not a quitter, but like, I didn't see that through. It was my identity. It was like everything I wanted and it was just gone. And I honestly like openly talk about, I struggled with eating disorders and depression and all these things after soccer. And I feel like maybe now I really want this to succeed. Be like, see, I'm, I am valuable. Soccer didn't work out, but so this has to, and I have to find something that is a success because soccer wasn't. And it did so much to me mentally that that didn't work out that I need this too. So I'm putting like all this pressure on now. See, look at me. I have a show like, and I will admit that. And then like with the mom guilt stuff, I catch myself. I admit this too. Like, on Instagram, if I'm spending the day with my kids, it's going on Instagram. Look at us. We're the playground. I'm a really yeah, good mom. I'm okay. We're okay. <laughs> well, I'm very involved. Look at me. Very involved with my kids inside. Like no one's told me like, you're not involved with your kid. That's for me. I'm like, who am I putting that on Instagram for? I have yeah. this noise. Like I'm trying to show that I'm a very involved mom for, to who it's to me. It, Cause I am thinking like, he doesn't want me to do this. My kids are yet. Like, what if I let the radio station down? Like I have all this noise and I'm projecting it. Like I've got it. I'm confident about it. It's you, you're a hater and you, and if you just slow down and are like it, but I think moms have so much trouble doing that. Like I'm always thinking about what I have to get the grocery store, what time I have to pick up my son. And tomorrow's like green shirt day at school. And like, just, there's never time to really, you have to make it a priority, I guess, to stop. And we don't, (laughs) and we don't. And we could. And what I would say for all of the, um, I would invite you for all the statements you made, like soccer didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Byron Katie's work is called the work.com. Would have you questioned that? It sounds like soccer worked out perfectly. You played it until you didn't. It sounds like you have a really good system inside of you that is really wise that says we shouldn't do soccer right now. And you're like, yeah, but it was a failure because I you know, suffer from an eating disorder. It's like I did soccer and then I did an eating disorder and I learned a ton from both. And I quit soccer when I thought it was the right time. And I got help for my eating disorder when I thought it was the right time. But like internal family systems therapy would tell you that 
all of that was for your good, was your protection. Um, uh-huh. You know, I have just in the, in the book, I talk about words, single little words that have changed my life. Yeah. And one of the words, like, so I went to this retreat. I used to do a lot of uh, retreats. I went to this retreat and they said, you know, choose a word today to walk with it and have a relationship with this word all day and just see what it has to teach you about life. So like a great word is like, and, cause I'm like, he is bad. And <laughs> good and supportive and surprised. And, and uh, it just helped me see the world so much more complex and to not boil people down to like one thing. So it got me to transcend like um, duality, which is where the suffering is. So one word that sometimes I pick the word and sometimes they find me. And this one word that just kept like tapping on my shoulder or like that butterfly when you're hiking that just keeps like showing yeah. up on the path was enough. And the first time it tapped my shoulder was during COVID when I'm leading this, this, my company and my team went into, we've got to pivot our programs and we'll get on zoom and we will, we'll so I don't worry. We'll still meet our sales goals. Like I had taught them that hustle, hustle, hustle. <laughs> and it felt so tone deaf while we're going through like watching yeah. the murder of George Floyd on TV. It felt so tone deaf when the whole universe, like people were dying and like yeah. sales goals. What? Right. And I just said, what if all we did was enough? Wow. What do we have to do each month to keep all of you paid? Let's call that number enough. Don't worry about me. I've got funds put away in retirement, but what's enough? Yeah. That just led my team to, they were tears. They just all relaxed and they got human again, kind to each other. Who needs what? Um, they got creative again. And I think for parenting, enough is really important because the next time that word came to visit, um, two members of my team had actually come to live in my basement because the week before COVID, they, well, it wasn't because of this, but the week before COVID hit, they gave birth to this beautiful little boy and they weren't doing a lot of the visits that they were putting off. This is not the parents, but the doctors, because they didn't want the babies to come in. So Um, he wasn't getting enough and he started losing some weight and um, they were really feeling horrible about it. And I went out for a quick walk around the lake and I heard the podcast. One of my favorite authors talked about good enough parenting. And like, there's that word again. And I came home and I just talked to them about good enough parenting is a book from the eighties, but everybody out there read good enough parenting. <laughs> I have four grown sons, 30 through 21. I've raised, I was part of um, four stepsons life for a few years. And the quicker you get good with good enough parenting. Yeah. The better you'll be. My kids will tell you, and I've been through a lot. They've been through a lot. I talk about a lot of it in the book, all that matters is that you leave people feeling that they were enough. It doesn't matter how many times you go to the park, you don't mm-hmm. have to overlove them. <laughs> they just need to be confident that in your eyes, they are enough. Yeah. I'm so They're worried enough. about that. Yeah. They're, no, just all you have to do is that, that they're enough. And a lot of times instead of going enough is enough, it's like, I've had enough of um, the loud voice. Like, can I have some more of the quiet voice? Like, because what everybody needs to know to, to do well in the world is that you were enough. And I think so many times we give our kids the message. They're not enough. I'm like, you have to be great at math or you will. I don't know what happens to people not good at math, but you're supposed to be very good at math. And a lot of times I just had to say, you know what? You're good enough at math. Like, 
Yeah. Well, you feel like you have to push them as the parent to like their highest self. And it's like the pressure, because I was a firstborn perfectionist and my wanting to do well, it it sounds good. You're so driven, but it can take it left into like an eating disorder or something that's too, because they get too obsessed on something. So saying like, you're enough. And I worry about that with my daughter. She's the oldest and like eating disorders are hereditary. It's like, I will not let her struggle like I did. And I got goosebumps on my whole body when you were saying that it was all like, I, I'm not going to say I wasn't fulfilled. I love being a mom. Okay. And I think I am going to say it. (laughs) I love being a mom, but I felt like there was more. I felt a little bit unfulfilled. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what was coming, but I felt like I, there was more to give and during the pandemic, I was on Instagram live, basically just complaining to my like smaller following about like what you're supposed to do with your kids because I had a two and a four-year-old during COVID. And I'm like, what is everybody doing? And then I made it like a talk show. I was like, pour a cocktail Thursday night. We're going to share what we did and we're going to help. And it (laughs) became like, but then a radio station called and gave me a show. And like, how is that not? And I said, I was telling somebody else, if there had been an audition, like podcast one, it needs a new host. I never would have auditioned because I never knew this would ever be something that I, it only could come to me like that way because I wouldn't have gone for it. But now that I do it, I share, I made my mess, my message. I share everything about my eating disorder, my depression. And I found this connection with women that like went through the same thing and haven't told anybody. And I know that this is what I'm supposed to do. Absolutely. Stellar example of, (laughs) of how it works, right? Yeah. What people don't want to hear is that there are times where you need a lot less effort and you will get to a better place. Like that's so counterintuitive because we're taught to hustle and be all things. And if you go inside and ask better questions, I talk about this in my newest book, Life's Must Be Happy. If you go inside and ask better questions, the more internal work you do to evolve and forge wisdom, the more able you're able to walk through um, the external world with more love and more skillfully. And the life happens in the mess, but we yeah. all think we're some self-help project. Like as soon as I get my poop in a group, then I'll go out and have a relationship. Or as soon as I get, you know, yep. and, and we're scared to ask these questions, like, how can I say I'm not fulfilled? Look at these beautiful little babies. Yes. A lot of us ask bad questions. So like maybe in a marriage or a job or being a mom, you're like, should I stay or should I go? Yes. Okay. Horrible question, but people walk with that and torture themselves for years. What is the question? For years. So the question, a lot of people, if you say, should I say or go? One, if you're only giving yourself two options, you have missed the whole dang point. Okay. First of all, stay or go. Like, seriously? (laughs) Like, that's it? The world is a big place and those are my only two options. Yes. Secondly, the word should, the word should is all about external. Am I a good girl? What would people say I should do? What's the rules out there on this? What will people think of this? Better question. And if you ask that, it's so conditional. You'll have a great weekend. You're like, I'm staying. You'll have a bad evening. You're like, I'm going. And you are just always one foot in, one foot out. You'll never feel the joy. Rewrite your questions. So a better question is, am I fulfilled? Right. Am I fulfilled? Not am I happy? That's transient. Even though my book talks about happiness, I talk about a state of contentment. Am I fulfilled? And if the answer is not quite or no, okay, don't take any action yet. Just ask another question. What's my soul craving right now? Yes. What's it craving? (laughs) What's it craving? And then get really clear on that. 
And if you're in a relationship, just go ask for that. My soul is craving um, some freedom. And I'm just wondering in our beautiful marriage with all these kids, if I could um, talk to you about being free to like do a talk show or whatever that is. And a lot of times when you try and go, am I fulfilled? And what's my soul craving? You know what your soul is craving, but when you go to ask for it, you'll find a lot of stuff comes up. And so then before you go ask for it, deal with the stuff that comes up. One of the things that came up for me in leaving a, a marriage during COVID was, you know, um, what will people think? And I had to really grapple with, am I willing for people to be wrong about me to live the life I need to live? Right. Wow. And I had to grapple with like, what am I afraid of? I'm afraid of the answer. Cause I think he's given it to me many times yeah. and I'm afraid of like a straight question and the answer. Cause I'm afraid of the grief. It's like, once you ask people for what you need and they give you the answer, like you've got to believe them and grieve. I would say, yeah, but you know, what about this? And I would compromise my way out of what my soul craved in order to stay married. I had to say, like, um, am I willing to um, um, face abandonment in order not to abandon myself? Like that space between knowing what I needed and the ask brought up so many questions that I had to, to grapple with. I'm like, I have integrity. I made a commitment. I'm not going to go through a divorce. Right. And the question came up, what if divorce is an act of integrity? Oh. What if for me, an act of integrity, and I'm not saying stay or go, don't anybody, because when no, I no. was thinking stay or go, I'd listen to these podcasts, I'd write down, well, so I said, it's like, change the question. I talk about yeah. in the book, asking better questions. And those questions set me free, whether I stayed married or not. Oh my gosh. It was really profound. And so I just really encourage people to get self-reflective and contemplative in a way that you don't have to go off to a cave for three years and be a monk. Yeah. Or didn't you live in a tent by a lake for a while? I did. I was homeless. <laughs> I was, that was because of, I like, made bad relationship choices, but I think it's so important for us because that's what I think I bring some credibility. I'm older than most of your audience, but I've raised kids. I've done yeah. blended families. I've done divorce. I've faced my own, you know, um, obesity and over drinking. And I've, I've faced all that down and I kept retreating from the mess to perfect myself, to go back out in the mess. And every time I went back out in the mess, I didn't pass the test. I'm like, oh my God, I've screwed it up again. I kept wanting to clean up my external world or to clean up myself, but life happens in the mess. If you're bored, like the energy is out in the mess and we have to just be willing to get vulnerable and make mistakes. That's why I talk about in my book, making amends and um, you're going to mess this up, but only daily. Like just <laughs> it'll start go again. out there in that messy, <laughs> yeah. messy world and let it evolve you and feel your feelings and give each other grace and and get off of good, bad, right, wrong, like all of that. There's so much freedom out there beyond that. The other like thing I wanted to bring up to you are making me think like when you you talk about how if one part of my life, I'm so great in this and this is going great. Why isn't everything like, why can't everything be great? And it's like, there's always a balance. Like when this uh, show is doing well, I feel like a bad mom when I hang out with my kids and I'm like, I killed it today on the mom front. Didn't do anything for my podcast. It's like, if one area is thriving for you, then you feel like, well, I know how to be great. Like, why can't I be great? Like in my relationship or in another part of my life. 
You know, it's so interesting because I think that that's the, the mom torture, right? Is if I'm killing the, you know, at work or an interest or taking care of my parents, I'm not killing it, you know, like at home. Yep. And I think it gets back to, um, what if you just are present to what's in front of you? Because what takes away from time with your kids is you're worried about work. And what takes away from work is time with your kids. What if you just allow yourself to be the best you can be in the moment with your kids? And I would love for all of you to stop um, labeling, you know, like work, I'm bad, kids, I'm good today. <laughs> like, what if we just stopped rating ourselves and we said, you know, I had a day that was more kid than work. Tomorrow, yeah. I'll have a day that's more work than kids. Like, it doesn't have to be at the exclusion. That's polarity where if I'm doing one while well, I'm not doing the other. Yeah, right. What if it all is just a pie and today you chose to focus more on kids and got really good with every day, you will um, come up short somewhere every day. Yeah. I used to go to bed chronically disappointed in myself because I didn't have the perfect day, right? I'm there. And yeah. then all of a sudden I'm like, I'm like, I would be mad when other people critiqued me, but I critiqued me more than anybody. And so what I started to do is I just started speaking the truth. People are like, well, you didn't get back to me today. I go, I know. I know this that about myself too. I so did not get back to you. And they're like, I don't apologize. I, yeah. They're like, what? And yeah. I'm like, I'm like, you know, evidently in my day, that wasn't the decision I made this a priority. And, it's and I'm not doing that to be mean to people. I'm doing it to yeah. be free. To be, to be free on that. Yeah. We are, we are cruel to ourselves. Um, and everybody just needs to know they are enough. They are enough. I, my I kids that. are on the other side of that. And there is always finishing work to be done on your children. And the good news is the world will take care of that for you. I Get them that. as far as you can with what you got. Their partners will take care of it. Their bosses will take care of it. The world will take care of it. Um, we don't have to graduate fully evolved children by the age of 18 or 21 or 25. We have to keep kids fed and warm and loved. And if we can do those things, you know, and even if trauma, something traumatic happens to a kid, that doesn't deserve, that doesn't determine whether it's trauma for the kid because offsetting any trauma with um, support builds their resiliency. And so we can do really hard things as Glennon Doyle, mm -hmm. you know, talks about, but yeah, I do. And I don't judge other moms. Like I hold myself to a standard that I would never expect somebody else. I'd never have thought of anybody else that like does anything like I do. Like, Oh, I wonder if she's with her kids. So why do I assume yeah. that people are judging me? I don't do that, but I do to me, yeah. I hold myself to this standard of like, and I just see, I know other moms that are unfulfilled and it's like, just what is your advice? Like, I know people are like paralyzed by change and they just feel like it's easier to stay with what, you know, if, even if you're not fulfilled, but somebody that kind of feels like maybe there's something else, um, they're not really sure what it is. And like, are not even really sure how to self-reflect. And like, I know you're supposed to like go towards nature. A lot of us are like, I need a retreat. I used to have all these retreats for my life. And I'm like, or I could just curate a life I don't need to retreat from. <laughs> like that would be smarter, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. Um, but the easiest thing you can do is just breathe. Mm. Like one breath, just stop in the middle of the kitchen and just, 
embody yourself. Just breathe in. And what that will naturally do, your body is so wise, that breath in will naturally help you notice, like, am I holding tension in my body? Am I, you know, being frantic right now? Like, breathe in some really beautiful deep breaths for the minimum will reset like your parasympathetic nervous system yeah. that you realize there's no saber tooth tigers running around. They're just little babies. And like the snake is a rope. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the snake is not a snake. And once you just breath is in, and breath is the, is the, the way just sit and breathe. And if you can do that, you'll just start to notice amazing things changing and then add just little imperfect steps. I personally add some meditation and I do that four out of seven days. Like I, my goal is to do it seven days a week. I do it mm -hmm. four out of seven days and just adding like little places where you stop, you breathe, you go within, you notice. One of the things I notice is I hold my breath all the time when I'm about to do something brave. I like hold my breath. And I had coaches, I was an athlete too. I had coaches all through the years are like, sigh, breathe it out. Like stop yeah. it, stop it, stop it. <laughs> Well, what I learned from that is that I am really good at the heroics and the strength. Like my body's super strong and I have really good stamina and really good perseverance. And that's how I approach life. And when I caught myself holding my breath a lot, that's to gear me up to do hard things. But the exhale is where the healer comes in and letting out my breath is where sometimes the tears fall or sometimes. So just my breath, just doing that little thing taught me so much about myself where, where in my life am I allowing myself time to exhale? And, you know, even in the hour you take for a yoga practice, I notice how often I hold my breath during a pose, trying to hold the pose. And then the lesson of if I breathe out, I'm stronger in the pose and I can hold it deeper, longer, like just start playing with noticing some metaphors in your life. Um, you know, I went for a hike in nature one time. I was having uh, trouble with one of my kids that was smoking too much pot and, you know, or any pot at his age was too much, but yeah. I'm like, what should I do? And I started to use hiking as a metaphor. Everybody was telling me like, have him roasted and kick him out. I'm like, that seems traumatic for <laughs> pot. Like, or that's legal in all these yeah, states. Right. I, I saw a columbine flower that had this boxy wooden, it was like a very strong stem. And at the end of it was this beautiful, gentle flower. Mm -hmm. That hike, suddenly I knew what to do. I would define my non-negotiables and set those. And then I would just be gentle and kind and loving towards him, not permissive, yes. but loving. And that I could be both at the same time. Nature showed me that like it reflected back. The but flower. these pauses and these brief messages, there is always a metaphor in front of you. If you're willing to just breathe into that metaphor and just observe and say, what message does this have for me? The other thing I tell people to get in touch with themselves is look around you. What have you surrounded yourself by? So I was thinking, should I say or leave this marriage? And I looked in the mirror and I had purchased three years earlier, a Liberty coin necklace that I wore every single day. Mm -hmm. I looked at my nightstand. I had 30 books on how to be a better wife and his nightstand had one book of a book of love letters I had given him unopened. He hadn't even read the inscription I'd given oh him. On, and like, I'm like every journal I had for five years 
if you had to pick a word on New Year's, mine was liberation and freedom. Like, oh my I'm God. Like, oh, <laughs> I know <laughs> you weren't open to it. Then you're like, they were, the universe was trying to tell me so many times, but it's like you, as soon, like you said, as soon as you just open to it, like it, you start seeing it. And I was like, I haven't been doing this for that long, but there's like seven things that have happened that had like blown my mind. And yeah. it's cause I wasn't looking for it when you're looking for it and you're opening yourself up to it. It's right there. That didn't tell me what oh, to do. True. Right. You know, I don't want people to think, oh, no. it, it yeah. didn't tell me what to do, but it told me that I wasn't, my current approach wasn't correct. Like my yeah. approach of all work, both sides of this relationship wasn't correct. And every time yeah. I asked for what I need, you know, I had to like really sit down. And what a lot of people are most afraid of is I think grieving and heartbreak is that distance between loving big or dreaming big or hoping big and reality. And the ability to grieve helps us in so many ways, because if we can grieve, and I talk about heartbreak in the book, if we can grieve something, it doesn't need to be the end of a marriage, but if we can grieve, like, I didn't think, I didn't know motherhood was kind of like this and grieve that dream. Um, our ability to grieve is in direct proportion to our ability to live a really rich life. And we are always are trying to avoid it. It's like step into the grief and then more will. Cause up. we want to fix it. When I was going through another life dilemma, um, one of my coaches said to me, Sai, do you remember those finger toys that came? They called them Chinese, like finger yep. traps. Uh-huh. I don't know if they come from China, um, but the more you pull, the more you cannot get your fingers out and that yes. you have to like give in or I don't like the word giving in because it feels acquiesce. Give over is like surrendering, yeah. like give over to it. And she said, right now you're trying to fix the solution with read one more book and figure it out. And she said, what if you just let go and grieved, just go sit over there and grieve, stop, you know, just stop this, like go grieve. And every time I'm in a situation that gets exhausting, I ask myself to just end that conversation. If I'm in an exhausting conversation, when I've been in for 10 years, I'm like, I'm just going to end that conversation and start a new one. And a lot of times it's in the conversation of what is wrong and how do we fix it to what do we dream of and what do we want to create together and how could we do that? So you manage your energy away from why it won't work and what's wrong and why we shouldn't have to. And you manage your energy and what life do we want to create together and how can we make um, that happen? What's important to you and what's important to me? And for those of you out there that are partnered up, you will have three marriages in your life. They may be to the same person, they may be to different people, but your first marriage, like pre-kids, that's one marriage. That's, and then there's like this working marriage with kids. If you choose to have kids and household and all of that. And then there's a third marriage and when they leave, and those are three different marriages. And every time you need to sit down and say, who are you and who am I? And what would we like to create together now? Yeah. And that. that. That's the discussion to have when you're out to, you know, dinner with your beloved, mm-hmm. not, can I get a little more help here? Right. <laughs> right. right. I got to reframe how I'm <laughs> exactly and if what you I'm need coming. a little bit more help. I know it's a privilege to have you know, other people help you and stuff, but sometimes a little more help is like lowering your standards or a little more help is like, you know, what doesn't need to be done here. Saying things are um, and good enough. sometimes the people that won't buy into our anxiety behavior are our best teachers. 
I'm like, a little help because dishes have to be done before we go to bed. And everybody yep, knows that me. everybody's always have to be picked up. Like, what rule didn't you? It's like a little bit of help is I consistently live with the person who tells me that may not be true. Like you could that. go to sleep without the dishes done. They're trying to teach you something very important. Yeah. What our partners teach us is where we have been conditioned in a way that doesn't work today. That conditioning was when you were a little kid, like your mom didn't have COVID, but she didn't know what to do with you after dinner when she wanted to break. So she told you dishes had to be done or we couldn't go to bed. Like good for her. That was a creative strategy. We don't have to carry that on, on um, forward. I mean, if you were a work process and you did the, you know, five people's dishes every night and I came in as an efficiency expert, I'd say that's kind of silly to do it that way. Like, why don't you just let the dishes like pile up and just like as a gang approach them one time, like every three days. Efficiency expert would say they're like, but I don't like the sight of them. Well, then I would just like close the door. Yeah. My playroom. I'm like, she's like, why do you clean the playroom every day? I'm like, because I can't look at it. It feels better to me to have order. And she's like, no, you're not cleaning the playroom. And I was like, I have to, she's like, then don't look at it. Like don't walk by it. And then it won't bother you as much. And I was like, it sounded so simple, but next week we come back and she's like, what? I was like, it's not the playroom. I still feel the way that I am. It's not the playroom. I'm just like an anxious. I don't know. She's like, so you're fine. If the playroom's not clean, everything's still the same. And you cleaning the playroom is not changing anything. It's good enough. I think that is the word of this. It's good enough. And in fact, it's kind of harmful. When I was a little kid, I'd have my whole life set up. And then I would like leave because we had to go someplace. And I'd come home and just think how bad it would be like if somebody cleaned your playroom. That's so true. (laughs) I never think about it that way. Yeah, oh I just God. have all my Legos. Well, your kids are young, but I had to all no, set up and somebody came by it. Somebody came by and play and cleaned my playroom. Exactly. I never thought about it that way. I'm messing up the how they want to live in that room. You're yeah. exactly right. Sai, this is more than I could have even imagined. Such a great episode. Your new book, uh, Life's Messy, Live Happy. Things don't have to be perfect for you to be content. It's like you're talking directly to me. Um, where can everybody find you? Yeah, I'm all over the place. Thanks to my team at Cy Wakeman on Instagram and TikTok and um, tons on YouTube under Cy Wakeman. Um, and we also have this great newsletter that oh. um, you can sign up for at realitybasedleadership.com. You know, because some of the algorithms are kind of funky if I actually hit your feed or not. Um, so realitybasedleadership.com yes. is a place to sign up for the newsletter. And uh, the book is, um, you can order it right now. Go, um, you know, of course, there's places online to order it. But we also love when you go to um, your local bookstore, you know, um, spread the love around so we can keep those places um, in good health. Exactly. I love it. Sai, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I wish you the best. Thank you so much for listening to the Squats and Margaritas podcast. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And I'll see you next week for a brand new episode of Squats and Margaritas. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, 
My sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.